Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing us to come into your home every, uh, every Sunday morning. There are actually more of you that watch than normally attend Springwell on a Sunday morning. There, in fact, there's, there's way more of you that watch that have never attended this church at all. And that uh, honestly humbles me. And uh, I'm grateful and I'm thankful that you allow us that privilege of visiting with you on a Sunday morning and taking a little bit of your time. I'm a dreamer. I've always been a dreamer. And I used to, I used to dream about what it would have been like to have lived 2,000 years ago and have been on earth with Jesus when he was here. I used to dream about what that would be like. You know, I would, I would think in my head, you know, uh, I would picture the look on his face maybe when he, when he first saw me. I would think of what the conversation might be, what he might say to me, what I might say to him. And usually I could never think of anything that I could ever get out that I would just be blown away by being in his presence. Well, the Gospels are full of people's face-to-face interactions with Jesus. And the one thing that we know for sure is that everything changed, literally everything changed when people met Jesus. And the thing that's always amazed me is that, that sinners, heavy-duty sinners, they loved being around Jesus. I mean, they literally loved being around Jesus, which has always amazed me because I didn't grow up wanting to be close to Jesus. Well, actually, that's not true. Actually, when I was a kid, when I was just a child, I could feel his presence. I mean, maybe it was the faith of a child. Maybe I didn't know any better. Maybe I just, uh, maybe I made it all up in my head. But I could feel his presence. When I was 10 years old, my father passed away. And I remember maybe days, maybe weeks after his funeral, I remember laying in my bed one night and, and I was laying on my side and I was facing the wall and behind me was the door to my room. And I, I have no idea what I was thinking. I don't remember now if I was thinking about my dad. I don't remember if I was sad. I don't remember... Uh, anything that I was thinking about in particular, but what I do remember is that all of a sudden I felt this hand on my shoulder. Now, the hand on my shoulder didn't scare me. I mean, you would think that something like that would scare you. I mean, my guy that I work out with, uh, you know, thought he was funny this week, and he scared me, and I screamed like a little girl. And so you would think that for a 10-year-old boy to have suddenly to have a hand on your shoulder, somebody that was behind you, that it would have scared you, but it didn't. In fact, I remember very distinctly thinking that it was a hand, it was my mama's hand, because it was a hand of of comfort. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know what a hand of comfort feels like other than that's what it felt like, this gentle, loving, tender hand. When I turned, 
literally to see who was there, thinking that it was my mom. Nobody was there. I truly believe that that was the hand of Jesus. But things changed. Things changed because I missed out on so much because I didn't have a father. I didn't have anybody to take me fishing anymore. And I remember that it was my dad who took me fishing my very first time. And the first fish I caught was a two-and-a-half-pound catfish on the banks, the red banks of the Catawba River. And literally, as this fish is pulling my little skinny behind into that river, my dad grabbed me by the seat of the pants because I wasn't letting go of that cane pole. And nobody was there to take me fishing anymore. Nobody ever taught me how to shoot a gun. Nobody ever took me hunting. So I became angry. I became angry, and then that anger turned into bitterness, and then that bitterness, bitterness turned into this weird thing called rebellious sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say rebellious sin? I mean, sin is one thing, right? I mean, we're all sinners, and so we mess up every single day. But it's a different thing when you're so angry and you're so bitter inside that you want to intentionally sin against God. And that's where I was as a teenager. And then this willful, deliberate, defiant sin It led me to be extremely fearful of God. Now, the reason I was fearful of God is because I had been to church on more than one time. My mom made sure that I was in church every single Sunday as long as she could. And I'd heard those sermons of what God did to sinners like me, especially willful, defiant sinners like me. And so I would be scared out of my mind that God was going to get me. He was going to, I was going to be in a car wreck and, 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 I, and I, I wouldn't die, you know. I would just be I would just be crippled for the rest of my life because that's the kind of things that God does to sinners like me. So I was fearful of God. The amazing thing to me has been over the years as I've looked at Scripture, as I've got into the Bible, is that sinners who came face to face with Jesus, they weren't afraid. I'm telling you, everything changes when you meet Jesus. It's different than you might think. And maybe you have these weird, twisted images of God and what you think God's like. And maybe, just maybe, he's nothing like that at all. For example, in Luke 15, it says this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So the weird thing about this passage is, is that religious people didn't like being around Jesus, but tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they just weren't comfortable being around him. They literally were drawn to him. They wanted to be near him. And that's always amazed me because, like I said, as I entered into those rebellious teenage years, I didn't even want to be near a preacher, much less to think to be in the presence of God. And so occasionally I would go to church on a Sunday morning with my mom, and, and when the service was over and we were leaving, the preacher always made sure that he stood at the door, you know, to greet everybody on the way out. And, and I wanted to make sure that whatever door he was at, I went out another door. 
Because just to be near the preacher, for me, I felt conviction. Actually, a better word is condemnation. That's really the word. I felt condemned. And this probably wasn't his fault. I mean, he didn't know what I was doing. Or did he? I didn't know. Preachers were weird people. I just didn't want to be near them. The beautiful thing about people in the Bible, when you look at people who came face to face with Jesus, it's different than you might think. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at people who had this encounter with Jesus. And today we're going to look at the woman at the well. And i got to be honest with you, when I first started to study this passage, I thought to myself, I really don't want to preach this text. I really don't. And the reason I didn't was because I've preached on this text many, many times over the years. And so in this arrogant, prideful way, I thought, I probably already know everything there is to know about this passage. I mean, I've turned it inside and out. I've done word study. I've done study on culture and history. I've done everything I know. Surely there's nothing else I can learn. And the thought hit me as soon as I read this passage. I thought, wow, the woman at the well, we don't even know her name. And then, honestly, it was like the Holy Spirit just drew me into the story. And he said, oh, there's so much more here than you've ever seen. Trust me. So John 4 says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. So let's talk a little bit about this whole Jew-Samaritan thing. Now, according to the, to, to the commentaries, let me just read it straight as, as I found it in the commentaries. It said this, Samaritans were essentially a corrupted form of the Jewish race. So basically, they were a group of Jews who, long story short, mad, uh, married and mixed with other kinds of, of pagan, idolatrous nations. In other words, they mixed and they didn't just mix cultures. They didn't just mix races. They literally mixed with a group of people that worshipped other gods. And so these Jews looked at them as being half-breeds because many of them abandoned their faith for the faith of this person who worshipped an entirely different god. So they were looked on as being half-breeds and outcasts by the Jews. Let's read on. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk. <laughs> Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. I love hanging out with unchurched people. Because they have so many questions. And I can almost hear one particular lady that I've spent a lot of time with over the last few months. I can almost hear her saying, you know, I thought he was God. So, like, if Jesus was God, if, like, he was fully God, then why in the world did he get tired? I mean, this doesn't make sense. Was he really God? And the answer to that was yes, he really was God. But he was also fully human. And the beauty of Jesus being fully God and fully human, the beauty of that is that he understands what it's like when these old bodies get tired and weary and worn out from a long day's work. He understands. It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around 
fully God and fully human, but I'm thankful that he was fully God and fully human. Then it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So here we are introduced to this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. And she's going to the well, not looking for Jesus. She's going to the well looking for water. And you're probably thinking, well, duh. Like, well, why would anybody go to a well other than to draw water? I mean, she was thirsty. She was going to draw water. There's nothing really new here, right? She was going to the well to look for water, but Jesus was there looking for her. Then John says, the woman was surprised. Of course she was. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. I mean, I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a woman. I mean, there's a double whammy here for me. I mean, women had no rights in this culture. Women couldn't testify in court. Women had no legal rights whatsoever. In fact, it has been said that, there are, that women were literally lower than the dogs. And so this woman says, wow, so you're here. I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, but more than that, I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're a Jewish man. Why in this world would you be here looking for me? So why are you asking me for a drink? So she has no earthly idea that this is Jesus, that this is the Messiah. And she can't believe that a Jew, that a Jewish man would give her the time of day. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. So it is entirely possible to meet Jesus and not even know that it's Jesus. I've heard people say over the years, well, if God spoke to me, I would believe. I've had the wonderful privilege of people trusting me enough to say, I don't even believe in God. I don't even believe that there is a God that exists. And if there is a God and he did exist, if he would speak to me, then I would believe. And the thing that I can look at you with confidence and say is that you probably are having encounters with God every single day. You just don't know it's him. She said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, this well is very deep. Where would we get this, this, this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? So now it sounds like really that she's getting a little bit sassy, which I think is kind of amusing. So a few minutes ago, she's, a, she's amazed that this Jewish man would give her as a Samaritan woman the time of day. But now, now he's offended her. He's, he's offended her by, by using these words, and so now she's getting a little bit sassy, so she definitely has no idea at all that she's talking to the Messiah. But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them 
eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't married to the man that you're living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. So it sounds like she's a little slutty, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is. It sounds like she's been a little slutty. I mean, I've been looking at this text for over 30 years, and that's pretty much what I've always thought. Honestly, it's what I've always been told. Every single time I've ever heard this passage preached, every pastor that I've ever heard said this woman was a woman who was a social outcast. She was a woman, a woman with low moral values. Some have even been so bold as to call her a whore. But let me give you something a little bit to think about, just a little something that maybe will mess with your mind just a tad. Why do we automatically draw that conclusion you're probably thinking well hey genius people probably think that because she had five husbands and the man that she's living with now is not her husband sounds like pretty much that qualifies her for being a little bit slutty I mean that would even qualify as being slutty in our culture but why do we automatically assume that each marriage ended in divorce why do we assume that is there something in the language or is there something in the original Greek that gives us, that leads us to that? Do you see anywhere in the text that says that they all ended in divorce? Maybe they all died. Maybe she had five husbands and she was so unfortunate that she lost every single husband to death. You're probably thinking, that's a stretch. I mean, that's a stretch. Sounds more like that maybe it was divorce. But how do you know if it was some were divorced and how do you know that some of her husbands died? How do you know? But even if each marriage ended in divorce, even if every marriage ended in divorce, then why do you blame her? Why do you just assume that it was her fault? It doesn't say that it was her fault. Maybe the only thing that she's guilty of is not being able to pick husbands very well. What if, what if she was faithful to the better end in every single marriage? What if she knew that her husbands were cheating on her? And what if she stayed and she stayed faithful? But in the end, they walked out and left her for another woman. If that were the case, would you look at her the same way? Would you? If that were the case, would you look at her with maybe pity and not condemnation? I'm just saying. And truth be told, divorce was rare in Jesus' day, or so I read. And there are apparently no historical records of a woman being the one to initiate divorce. So here's what we know for sure. In all five cases, if they all ended in divorce, it was not her that initiated the divorce. It would have been those husbands leaving her all five times. All we really know from this passage is that she is a broken woman. 
She's broken. And we know that for sure. You can take that to the bank. We assume the very worst, and maybe that's true because we're more comfortable at seeing the worst and believing or hoping for the best. We tend to be so quick to judge, don't we? That we read this story and we just draw conclusions that this woman was had a bad reputation, that she was an outcast of society. Rather than to take the time to read a book word for word, line by line, page by page, through from the first page to the last. And as for the matter of her now living with a man that's not her husband, because I can hear somebody out there. There's a couple of religious people out there, I'm sure, and they're listening and saying, come on, man. She was living with a woman, and Jesus brought that up. It could be that her current arrangement was not at all about sex. I guess we just assume that, too. For a woman in this culture who had experienced so much loss this is very possible her only means of survival. We don't even know if she has children or how many children that she might have. Women didn't have any rights in this culture. She couldn't just go out easily and get a job and support her family. And then who wants to marry a woman who's had five husbands die or five husbands who've left her for somebody else? And if she's gone through five husbands, how old is this lady at this point? How old is she? Has anybody ever really thought about that? Has anybody ever tried to maybe think, you know what, probably at this stage of her life, she's not a young woman. And in this particular culture, it was not uncommon for a man to take another wife or to bring a woman in as a concubine, really not there for any kind of intimate relationship, but really just to provide for the woman and to provide for her children. Maybe in this situation... I know we're so quick to judge. Maybe she's just trying to survive. You know what's incredibly beautiful? Is that this conversation is the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and one other person in the Bible. Check me out. And it's a conversation between Jesus and a broken, humiliated, and grieving woman who at the very least is grieving the loss of security and the hope of lasting love. So she's going to the well at, at noon. People didn't go to the well at noon. It was the hottest part of the day, and it would have been work for her. No telling how far she had to walk to get to the well. She would have filled that cistern up with with water, and then she would have put it on her head, <clears throat> and she would have had to carry it back to her home. It wasn't the best part of the day to do this kind of, of work. And it's been said by other people who've written commentaries and other pastors and preachers over the years, it's been said that she went to the well at noon because she was too ashamed, and there would have been people that would have been making fun at her and calling her names. Maybe 
maybe she just doesn't want anybody to see her because maybe she doesn't want to run the risk of another hurt. Maybe she's thinking to herself, you know, I'm not done, I've not been a winner in love. I've lost. I'm a sucker for love. So maybe she goes at noon because she just wants to put some distance between her and another loss. Maybe she's trying to protect herself emotionally. What we do know for sure about this passage, kind of messed you up, hadn't I? That's good. It's good to get messed up every now and again with a passage. To think that you know so much more than maybe you actually know about a passage. What we do know for sure is that Jesus went looking for this woman. Jesus went to the well that day at noon, knowing that he would meet this woman. And he says, I know that you're a Samaritan. And I know that you're a Samaritan woman. I know that your life is hard. I know what you've experienced. I know you've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. But I love you anyway. Wow. Isn't it, isn't it the sweetest story you've ever heard? Jesus sat at a well and engaged in a deep theological and very personal conversation about this woman's relationship with other men and her relationship with God himself. He wanted to engage her with her and he wanted to to take her opinions and her questions seriously. He wanted to look into the eyes of this woman and for the first time in her life, for her to feel what she'd been looking for, to feel love. Unconditional love. And that's exactly what he did. So let me fast forward a little bit. And this long, beautiful conversation reveals, Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called to Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, well, lady, I just want you to know I'm the Messiah. He reveals to this woman at the well that he's the Messiah. He told her before he told some prominent religious leader, this woman at the well, this woman that he's never met, a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands and is now living with a man that's not her husband. It just seems a little bit odd, don't, doesn't it? That, don't you look at this now and go, wait a minute, this is crazy. Well, it's not if you know the heart of God. If you know him. Again, we've talked about it a lot this morning. It's assumed that this Samaritan woman was a social outcast among her own people. But in verse 39, my last little bit of evidence, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because this woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So it's interesting to me that this woman, who's most identified as a social outcast, a harlot, a whore, has so much influence in her community that people actually believed her story. It's amazing, isn't it? This woman who came to the well at noon during the hottest part of the day 
and was brought face to face with Jesus. And her life was changed forever. And she didn't go looking for God. She went looking for water. But Jesus went looking for her. So maybe you haven't been looking for God at all. Maybe you haven't. Maybe the only reason that you're watching this right now is maybe because a friend invited you. They said, hey, why don't you join me? You'll do the Facebook thing and have a party. I don't know how you do that. I'm not technically savvy, but that's what I hear. Or maybe, maybe, maybe somehow this morning, it's, it's a freak thing. You were just kind of cruising through the internet and and then you stumbled onto this particular site and then something, there was something, maybe it was the music, maybe it was something that was said and it kind of, you've just been drawn in and maybe, maybe you know what, you, you haven't been looking for God at all but God came looking for you and here's the cool thing, he came to where you are. So right now you're sitting on your couch watching your TV and Jesus came to you. You didn't get up and go to church this morning. You didn't go looking for God, but God's found you. Maybe you're sitting out on the back porch with a cup of coffee, and who would have ever guessed that this morning you would have come face to face with Jesus? He's crazy about you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he would come looking for you on a Sunday morning when you least expected it. In the privacy of your own home, he came looking for you. He loves you so much that he didn't send a letter, but he sent his son who was without sin to become sin for us on the cross to die, to shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he was raised on the third day. He's alive. And what you're experiencing right now is it's God. God meeting you right where you are. Just like that day he went to the well looking for this woman. He stepped into your home looking for you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, it's easy. It's to be willing to accept this great love that he has for you. It's to understand, to recognize that you're a sinner. And I don't have to beat you over the head with the Bible to convince you that you're a sinner. You already know that. And maybe on your own, you've tried to be better, you've tried to do better, but you can't. And maybe what you've always thought, you've had pictured in your mind that God, if God, God would reject you, how could God love somebody like you? And then this morning, he stepped into your living room. He stepped into your bedroom. He stepped onto that patio, that back porch. And the truth of it is, is that he loved you so much to give his life for you. And if you're just willing to say, God, forgive me of my sin. I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. Your life will be changed forever because of this beautiful encounter with Jesus. 
So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Right there in your home, you can say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. Forgive me for all my sin. Make me new. I want to turn to you today. I want to thank you for being willing to meet me where I am. Thank you for showing me your great love for me. And it is with a humbled heart that I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And to the best of my ability, I surrender my life to you. I want to spend the rest of my life following you. Heavenly Father, still to this day, Lord, the one truth that I cannot get over is the incredible truth of your great love. Your amazing love that you would love sinners like us. And your love is the kind of love that draws sinners like us. Thank you for the kind of love that we cannot comprehend. I still can't explain it. It's still too much for me to take in. But I'm grateful. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity, the privilege of being able to share it with others. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.